When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Creature Feature, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of Mini Parasites, Katie Golden. So this week, I'm talking about something a little different and a little heavier than what we typically cover on the show. We're going to discuss the use of dogs in cases of police brutality, the history of how dogs have been used as weapons, and the harm this does to people as well as to the dogs themselves. I'll give you a heads up when we're about to describe violence and abuse. As a lover of dogs and someone who thinks people should never be brutalized by law enforcement, this subject is really gutting for me. So. I thought at the end we could talk about some incredibly wonderful and heartwarming stories of how dogs can have jobs that are both positive for the world and are things that dogs love to do. Spoilers, we're going to talk about big fluffy dogs and cute tiny penguins and how they form an adorable team. And I have a couple of wonderful guests, including our producer, Joelle Monique. Joining me today is comedian, biomedical engineer, developing ventilators right now, actor, activist, and honestly, if I list all your accomplishments, I'm going to run out of air, Polovig Gnolan. How's it going? <laughs> Good. How are you? Thank you so much. That was so nice. Of course. Of course. We are going to talk about something that's maybe like a little heavier than we normally talk about on the show, but I think it is so important. You actually suggested this topic to me, and it is something that I've also been interested in a while as a dog lover and as someone who cares about human rights, I guess, <laughs> just the use of police dogs. And I think, you know, police dogs are often seen as cute and noble and heroic. Like you see them in the news all the time of like, oh, look, it's this this officer dog and, and he's so cute. And it's from Rin Tin Tin to Paw Patrol Dogs that are involved in like law enforcement have had very positive portrayals in media 
And it's really easy to understand like why this is the case. Like dogs are innocent, they're loving, they're loyal. It feels really safe to love a dog. And when you hear stuff like a dog helped apprehend a suspect, it sounds innocuous on the surface. It's presented in a way that's meant to be like endearing or inspiring. But the reality is unfortunately very grim. When dogs are used as weapons by law enforcement, police can commit acts of horrific violence against civilians using the dog as a proxy. And we're going to talk about some pretty, like, a pretty gruesome reality behind dogs being used in law enforcement. And I kind of also want to, like, say, like, I come from this place of really deeply loving dogs. I have a dog. They're one of my favorite animals in terms of their history with humans, how we co-evolved with. This is like a really devastating topic because it breaks my heart to see dogs being intentionally trained to harm people. And, you know, in a way, like dogs are also victims of this practice, although I think the human victims are more important to recognize. But it's just, yeah, it's it's gut-wrenching in every sense of what's going on. It's upsetting. I, I also love dogs. I like viscerally uh, feel connected to them. I had a dog until recently. I grew up with a dog, but I've always felt that the behavior of the dog is reflected, of any dog, is reflected through the behavior of the owner or a result of the behavior of the owner. And, you know, cops. <laughs> so <laughs> I kind of have, I've never like blamed the dogs, but I also definitely see how they've been taken advantage of and used as a tool in such horrific ways. I mean, there's there's two extreme ways to view dogs. It's like completely autonomous. They do everything because they want to do it or totally blank slate tools, little robots that we can program exactly. And of course, neither are true. Like they're animals with a brain. They have their own personalities. They have their own stuff, internal stuff going on. But when we train them, we either tap into their best nature or the part of their nature that is very stressful for the dog and can result in aggression. So, yeah, so first I think it's important to talk about the history of police dogs because it is actually really interesting. It's really upsetting. And I think, like, our concept of police dogs is kind of like they popped out of nowhere in the 80s with, like, McGruff the crime dog. and but it's Turner and Hooch! (laughs) so canine units police dogs are used by police there are a few uh functions that they're used for they're used for searching crime scene evidence missing people sniffing for explosives sniffing for drugs and attacking targets at the command of police for this episode we're gonna mostly focus on that last one because it is the most harmful use of the dog. I know there's also like a lot of controversy about drug sniffing dogs in terms of like how they will signal because they want basically when dogs are trained that when you signal and you get rewarded for it, they want a signal. So they kind of look for their owner's body language. They want to please their owner. So they're not, you know, it's like, uh, what is it? Broken door police or broken window policing, but by dogs (laughs) like they're looking They're looking for rewards, their quotas. Exactly. They're looking for their treats quotas. But, you know, they're they're innocent. They don't understand the harm that they're causing by falsely indicating that someone has drugs and, you know, justifying police force against that person. Producer but- Joel here. You don't think dogs know. <laughs> 
about the legal ramifications. <laughs> I just, imagine, like, I just feel like <laughs> I just feel like I feel like if dogs are going to be cops, we have to have dog judges as well. Yes. <laughs> and it would be it would be a faster turnover. You know, their lives aren't as long. They would it would be young young do- pups in there. It'd be more progressive. You'd have lawyer dogs working pro bono. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I wish Uh, it was this cute. (laughs) I know. I wish it was this cute. Exactly. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, so you see a police dog, you're like, oh, but not aw, it turns out. So the breeds of dogs used by police are typically German Shepherds, Malinois, and Dutch Shepherds, Bloodhounds, and Retrievers. So like when we think of police dogs, we think of basically only German Shepherds, but that's not necessarily true. They're definitely like... very overrepresented as police dogs but like there's also these other breeds that are used it it just occurred to me it's like so funny that german shepherds have this bad rap because they're cops and then like dalmatians are the firefighter dogs and everybody loves them (laughs) (laughs) like they were the stars of 101 dalmatians like it's like so reflective In terms of police dogs, they have a pretty unsettling history, to put it mildly. They have been used to, quote, hunt down outlaws or basically whoever crossed the wealth holding class since at least the Middle Ages. So in the Middle Ages, when they're like, you're an outlaw, maybe you're just someone who's not a noble who, you know, is growing crops that they don't want you to grow or looked at them funny, you know. So it's just like they've, yeah been uh, used by the ruling class since at least the Middle Ages, I'm sure before then as well. Um, The first organized police dog training program was developed in Belgium in 1899, which was adopted by Austria-Hungary and Germany. In 1920, German shepherds bred in Germany had become extremely popular working dogs and became favored by police. And oops... Hitler was also a fan of the breed. He used German shepherds in Nazi Germany as violent weapons to enforce Nazism and to terrorize and maim victims of the Holocaust. (sighs) And it's, yep, you know, I'm not going to go into detail. It's pretty painful to go into, but you can, yeah, it's, it's very horrifying to look at the accounts of people who were terrorized by these dogs. Again, you know, this doesn't mean that German shepherds are Nazis. They don't, they don't, dogs don't have that kind of concept, but they were trained and taught to hurt people and used by Nazis to enforce their horrific ideology. And it it shows how you know, this this animal that can be such a wonderful, loving companion can be shaped by someone who is evil to do what they want because the dog doesn't, you know, the dog is responding to the training. And the dog itself can often be abused in this training, and it makes them extremely anxious and fearful and aggressive. So German shepherds came to America in 1907. So this was, uh, they did come here before World War II, In 1911, the NYPD started using the same training program developed in Belgium. They were trained to see anyone not in uniform as hostile. Was it stop and lick? Is that what it was? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, 
Uh, people in plain clothes were instructed to walk by their cages and tease them, encouraging them to be aggressive towards anyone not wearing a uniform, which, I mean, I, that's monstrous. That, that's how they train cops, too. <laughs> <laughs> Just teasing them until they're angry. Yeah, but it, it's like ramping up the dog's anxieties so they'll be more aggressive towards people. It's That's got to be like a constant. Their body has to be like in shock all the time. It's unhealthy. Not to mention yeah. um like if you have like just a domesticated animal, like they're terrified of like fireworks and like stimulation yes. like that, you know, it's got to be um yeah. incredibly disorienting for dogs. Yeah, my dog Cookie can like you get a text from someone and the phone goes off and she's shaking she hate like she she does not well, like any noises that's just because she wants your attention for herself she like <laughs> knows that you're talking to somebody else and she's she, like yeah. show me your phone who is it who's on your phone <laughs> i should have named her fomo because that is her defining trait she cannot like if she's in another room and everyone else moves to another room she has to be there immediately she can't like you go to the bathroom she sits outside the bathroom it's like no I cannot. A, a huge fear of missing out. So she's been trained to follow you around your own home. That's kind of crazy. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. She's been trained to follow me into the bathroom. What kind of weirdo am I? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, these are extremely stressful situations. And as we'll talk about, again, ramping up the dog stress has been historically used and is currently used in training the dogs to be aggressive. So in the 1950s, U.S. police again attempted to establish canine units. An ex-Marine trained police dogs in Michigan purportedly able to be, quote, vicious or gentle on command. You said this was the 60s? This is the 50s. 50s got it. Oh, but yeah, the 60s. Yeah, we're getting there. <laughs> But when these dogs were handed off to other departments, they didn't obey their new handlers because guess what? Dogs aren't robots. If they develop a relationship with a handler, they think you're their friend. They don't, you can't, you can't just program a dog and then pass it off as a robot. They're sentient beings. This is also true for men. Please keep this in mind. <laughs> you can't just pass me off, okay? <laughs> In 1959, the Baltimore City Police established the canine unit that became the precursor to dogs being used by police all over the country. These dogs were trained to violently tackle and take down targets. Um, and so this is the point that I'm going to start talking about in more detail, the gruesome history of dogs being used for violence in the U.S., it gets pretty upsetting, so if you're listening with children or if you're sensitive hearing about violence, especially violence against minorities by police, I mean, I know a lot of people have fatigue about that right now. And so, uh, I mean, I encourage, if this is a new topic to you, I really encourage you get through this because it's so important. But, you know, if you if you need to skip ahead, I'm going to insert in a timestamp to skip ahead where we're going to talk about uh, something that's... Uh, at the very end, we're going to talk about positive jobs, jobs that dogs can do. So suck it up and listen to the <laughs> truth, you you weak people. <laughs> you're just you're telling children, suck it up. Well, they got to learn someday that the system's fucked. <laughs> OK, I will say give it a chance. Give it a chance. And if it, it becomes overwhelming, you know, yes. feel free to pause. I know at the very least on uh, Spotify, 
It'll pick you right back up when you come back a week later, a couple days later. But it is it is vital information. It's very important. Like if you if you already know this stuff and this is just like gratuitous and stuff, yeah. I totally understand. But if you don't, just just try to get through it. And again, at the end, we're going to talk about some really uplifting stuff. So if you need to skip ahead, go to about the 58 minute mark. Soon after the proliferation of the police dog program in 1959, they were used by police to violently attack minorities, especially those participating in civil rights movements, especially black young people. But that certainly wasn't when dogs were first used to terrorize black people in America. So they were used throughout our horrific history of slavery. There was the Cuban bloodhound that was used to catch people trying to escape slavery. The dogs would maul people violently because the dogs were abused by the slave owners. So Cuban bloodhound trainers forced black men to abuse the dogs so the dogs would learn to fear and be aggressive towards black people, which is... One of the most purely evil <laughs> systems I've ever heard, just forcing someone to abuse the dog so that dog can be used to abuse people. It's, yeah, after the Civil War, dogs were still used to, and abused as weapons to terrorize black people in 1894. An editorial lauded a Tennessee police force's training of a bloodhound where they had the dog track down a black man who was told to hide his trail. And even though he was ostensibly like a, quote, willing participant in this training exercise, obviously, no, he probably wasn't. When he was told to come down the tree, he, they assured him like it was fine to come down. But as soon as he came down, the dog bolted for him and tried to attack him. And this was much to the racist amusement of the editorial writer and the police. So throughout Jim Crow, dogs were used to hunt people who escaped wrongful incarceration. There were even public competitions where dogs were forced to compete to chase down, you know, quote, escaped convicts. And the winning dog was declared ready for sale for the police. So that's the history of police dogs in the U.S. So I think for us to pretend that is not part of our culture now is, I mean, this was recent. This was like, there are people still alive that, you know, were lived through this era. So during the civil rights era, police dogs were routinely used to attack peaceful protesters, including children. Police dogs were not only used against civil rights protesters, but against people regularly. And the reason that we see these images of the protests is that journalists didn't go to these neighborhoods and document police violence regularly. They documented it when there was a protest. So we got to see it when there was a protest, but this was happening all the time. Despite the fact that police dogs often maimed people, Martin Luther King encouraged protesters not to fight back, citing the fact that white people were often more sympathetic to animals than they were to black people, and that the images of people defending themselves against police dogs would create less sympathy for the protests, which I think is really important because I think it's kind of relevant now like, remember when that 
guy who was just like birding he was going out birding in central park and then there was that woman who amy called, cooper uh, yeah that a white woman who called the police on a black man just because he was in the park bird watching and asked her to leash his her dog yes because dogs chasing off birds isn't good both for birding but also just for the bird populations, it's very disruptive, so it's not good for the environment. So, like, he very reasonably asked her to leash her dog, which she's supposed to do. And she threw a fit and, like, threw, throughout it, she was, like, holding her dog up by its collar. And, like, the dog was clearly very uncomfortable. But, like, so many people just commented on, like, the fact she was being mean to the dog, which... Yeah, that's terrible, but kind of not the main the main issue there. The main issue to me was just how I think it was very a very clear portrayal of a white woman showing that she knew how the system w- works and that right. she knew that when she called, she kept reiterating that she was going to tell the cops that it was an African-American man. And the yeah. way she said it was so disgusting because she knew that it meant violence against him. Um, and she knew that it meant he he could die. Like you could hear it in her tone. You could hear it in in the way that she was using the system to threaten the life of this man. And meanwhile, she was like wrangling this dog. And so it clearly wasn't out of care for her animal. It was out of vindictiveness towards this black innocent man who was asking her something reasonable. The crazy thing was like they took the dog. Like I think she her job was threatened or something. I'm not sure of everything that happened, but they definitely like took her dog and then gave it back, which is crazy. Like when we talk about canceling people or going after people, this was the week of George Floyd's murder. And like, it could have, I think the stark contrast between how those situations ended was something that really affected people. Um, because Christian Cooper, who isn't related to Amy Cooper, who was a bird watcher, he didn't die, and it was it was so close to happening. Um, and she, like, she was rewarded with her dog back. You know, it was just it's just crazy to me that <laughs> she's she's on camera abusing the dog, and also just the gall of her to be you know, abusive towards her dog, and then on the call with the police doing her fake tears, her, you know, like saying that he's attacking her and her dog using the this idea of like, you know, I'm, you know, come and hurt this person or kill this person because he's making me and my dog feel unsafe. It, and she's practicing unsafe dog laws. It was really upsetting <laughs> to me because it's like, you, the only thing he was at, the reason they had any kind of interaction at all is he was like, yo, your dog is not on a leash in this giant park, which is unsafe for your dog yes. and the people here. And so for her to be like, like you can't even lie and be like, I felt threatened or this man just can't. It's just a guy passing in the park be like, yo, could you put a leash on your dog? And for that, you escalated all the way up to calling the cops like there's some sort of, I don't know, like private investigator or personal protector and they're just not yeah the switch in her voice was so sociopathic like from like screaming at him and advancing towards him and like getting too close to him during the pandemic by the way um and then to switching and pleading for the police to help her and her dog it was like it was incredible that it was captured that way and that we were able to see it because i think like white people just did not believe 
that switch or that that's a regular right. occurrence. Right. The, the, the weaponization of a white woman acting like she's scared and upset and, and that, that, yeah, it, it's extremely disturbing. And it, it, that's why when we learn about this history and think about these, these things that happened in the past, it's, it's not just like history. It matters right now as well. And it's not something just known to black people. She knew that's why she used the system. So it's that I think it's like at that point, everybody was like, you can't. This is just a random white woman. You can't say that white people don't know this and have been fine with it. Yeah. Yeah. She was perfectly aware of what that meant. Uh, The use of police dogs against minorities continued past the civil rights movement, obviously into today. In the 1980s and 90s, LAPD officers regularly attacked young minorities with their police dogs and were known to refer to young black people as, quote, dog biscuits. Whoa. Which, that yeah. is, uh, yeah, uh, little black babies in the South used to be called gator baits, where they were literally oh left on logs as way to lure alligators to the shore. Uh, not all those babies made it back home. Pretty awful. Did oh not know we God. had modern versions of that, which is just. I did not know yeah. the gator bait thing. Cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's like a lot of in the same way that they have the uh, black lawn jockeys, these racist depictions that go on the lawn of yeah, what the hell black is up guy with that? The thing. I, I, I can't I don't know the origin story of that, but it, it deeply disturbs me if I drive by someone's house and see them. Yeah, what? Like, what are we doing? I don't under, it's like, big. I don't get it. Like, but they why have this, would you do that? They have the same thing with like gator bait t-shirts. I'm talking oh, like modern what? times, posters, like not that oh. long ago. Oh my, oh my God. It's crazy. This is why people have to say Black Lives Matter in case you're yes. wondering because our babies can be used <laughs> as gator bait. That's insane. Oh my yeah. God. And the 1980s and 90s calling people, young people, like kids, mm-hmm. dog biscuits because they used their dogs to attack them. It's... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, of course, dogs are still used as weapons by police today. Research has shown that the prevalence, intensity, and bias of police dog bites. So there was a study published in 2006 in Injury Extra, which is a really weird name for a scientific journal about it Sounds like, like something in news. <laughs> injury Extra, Extra Injury. Extra, Extra Injury. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it is not not a f- necessarily a fun journal to read, but it is uh, very informative. So they found that police dog bites were far more severe than non-police dog bites. So a police dog versus a dog owned by a civilian. So people who were injured by police dogs were often bitten multiple times, whereas civilian dogs typically only bit once. Researchers found that police dog bite victims were bitten more often in the head, neck, chest, and flank They were hospitalized more often, underwent more operations, and had more invasive diagnostic tests, and concluded that this was due to the dog's, quote, special training. Another study published in 2019 in the Journal of Forensic and Legal Medicine found that from 2005 to 2013, 42% of people admitted to the hospital for police dog bite injuries were black. For civilian dog bites, only 13% of inpatients were black. So that means that Black people were extremely overrepresented as victims of police dog violence. This is not what we mean when we ask for representation. This is not <laughs> what we're hoping for. No. Definitely not 
That's no. okay. I didn't even realize um, the distinct. I didn't even. It didn't even occur to me the distinction of the extent of the injuries. Of yeah. Oh God. And again, this is. I think what we were talking about earlier, which is this isn't just like. It's not just like dogs being dogs. These are dogs trained to be more aggressive, trained to be more injurious than a dog, like even a dog that kind of lacks training, right? A dog who bites a person. So full disclosure, my dog has some form of PTSD from a dog attack and she's she's a little, little dog. She's a little chihuahua, so she's kind of nippy. And we've done a ton of training to de-escalate. It always involves reducing her stress, lowering her anxiety. It's not yelling at her. It's not, you know, it's like you to get a dog to be more calm and listen to you more. You reduce the stress. You reduce the anxiety. You make them attentive to you by positive reinforcement. I've, I've always felt like my experience, my personal experiences with dogs has been like I've used like negative reinforcement like twice where I just kind of like hell, I was like, be good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I couldn't. Please be good. I'm just like mad. at You know, I couldn't actually do anything to a dog. But like I've noticed that they always they always just want to do what you want them to do. Like positive reinforcement is the only thing that ever works for dogs. And like, because they, they so badly want to be our friends. They so badly want to please us. So if they're doing terrible things, it has to be because they're trying to please somebody. And who are they trying to please in this case? It can, it can also be though a reaction to anxiety. So, You know, it's it is so like I would say my dog probably has an anxiety disorder as a response to um, the the dog attack. She she's actually been through two dog attacks both times from an unleashed dog. So please leash. <laughs> yes. So she is not a fan of other dogs to say the least. All of her behavioral problems are a result of anxiety, which I think is a really important thing to remember as we get into this next section about. The training of dogs, how the training of police dogs work and uh, questioning some of these claims made about police dogs like that. You can make them be vicious or or gentle on command, which, you know, is a very questionable claim. So we will talk about the science of that and and debunk some myths about these ideas about police dog training when we return. There's a pervasive myth that a well-trained dog will react only to commands and nothing else in their environment, as if the dog is a furry robot. Dog cognition is incredibly complex and they're incredibly smart, but they're not robots. Research has shown that dogs and their owners are so emotionally linked that our stress levels will mirror each other. Experimenters interviewed dog owners and gave them a survey to describe themselves and their personality, as well as their dog's personality. The researchers then studied hair samples taken from dogs and their owners and looked for the levels of cortisol, a hormone related to stress. They found that the dog's cortisol levels were correlated with the owner's personality, such as how the owners self-described their comfort with different situations. While the researchers reassured dog owners that being anxious isn't going to make your dog neurotic, it's true that dogs sense and respond to our stress and to our personalities, and the research showed that this connection is particularly strong in well-trained competition dogs. If anything, the more training a dog goes through, the more carefully that dog is going to pay attention to their owner, and the more sensitive they'll be to their owner's stress and emotions. 
This is important to keep in mind, especially when it's asserted that dogs can be used as passive neutral weapons, when in fact they're highly emotionally sensitive and intelligent animals who will do their best to please their owner and will often mirror their owner's emotions. In many cases, this could be positive. Dogs and humans react to each other's emotions and support each other, forming friendships. But as we'll soon discuss, this relationship becomes dangerous in situations of police violence. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. When you guys were in elementary school, did you ever have a cop come to your school and do a demonstration of their canine yes. officers? I feel like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That happened. Yes. Happened to me, too, in sixth grade. I remember police came to our school. They showed off their canine officer attack a, quote, bad guy who was mm. another officer wearing protective leather gear and, like, on command, the dog just, like, shot off like a bullet, tackled this guy, grabbed onto his arm, and we were supposed to think this was cool. It was terrifying. Mm. Joelle, you, that happened also to you where they like, look at our terrifying dogs. Isn't that neat, kids? Yeah, I still wonder what the point of almost any cop coming into the school to be like, yo, because it was never like, a, here's how you stay safe from danger or... Even like here's like some of your civil like rights or anything like here's some of your civic uh, ability to protect yourself or responsibilities or ways you can be like a, a good citizen and enforce safety on your own block. It was always like here's drugs, don't do them or I'll have to come after you. <laughs> here's and, what drugs are, don't do them. <laughs> right? Have you ever heard of acid, kids? Let me tell you all the details about it. <laughs> That's crazy that it didn't even occur to me that they should do that. Like teach us about our rights. Like I, oh, like no. I, I was just like, I don't want to hear that from a cop. Are you kidding? <laughs> but like, that's what they should be doing. Yeah, teach I mean, us our Miranda rights and stuff. But yeah, no. if you think about like the ideal like police officer, right? And it, it's hard for me to even say that because I mean, I just imagine 
just a space, an empty space. <laughs> just, just nothing. New. Wow. Yeah, a tumbleweed. <laughs> Officer Beautiful. tumbleweed. But I think I think if we were to quote unquote rebrand the police, so if they didn't have like a long lineage of being slave catchers returning freed people back to slavery, if they didn't have a long lineage of being first about protecting the wealthy and their own pockets. But they were actual like civil servants out to, you know, just help guide people uh, to safety and kind of apprehend people who were breaking the law in a way that allowed them to be brought to justice instead of ending up killed. I feel like a great officer would be the kind of person who is from the community, familiar with the individuals in that community and has a vested interest in um, making sure that that place stays safe, not at the expense of lives, but in a way that, again, is just engaging the citizens. So, for example, like a theft is not, oh, my God, that guy's a thief. Get him. It's, sir, do you need pants? <laughs> like, there was a story in Chicago about a guy. He's homeless. He stole a pair of jeans. He needed some pants. Can't be pantsless. They will arrest you for that, too. Um, he wound up spending three years in prison. Oh my god! It took so long to get him any kind of court date because Ugh. he needed a pair of pants. Like the response to that is, "Here's thirty dollars for these jeans. Go live." You like what? Do you how have much a- you bet? How much you bet? Some of those arresting officers loved Limiz. Oh my god! You know we have a whole musical slash movie thing where it's like, it's so wrong that he was thrown in prison for stealing bread and now man steals pants to clothe himself in jail and if there's one way to get years. through to white people it's through musicals you know it's like we're limits, trying yeah. any way to contact you and make sure you understand right. <laughs> we're like we, I'm so, but we need it in song form. we're happy Can to do it through acrobatic <laughs> cats I've heard that's a thing <laughs> like, oh my god <laughs> there's a big question about Brutal police dog bites, which is something uh, that Pallavi, we talked about a little bit in email, is like, are these dogs who aren't trained well enough and the multiple severe bites they deliver a mistake, or are they doing what they are trained to do? And so if it's if these like maulings by police dogs are mistakes, then why are they safe to use by police? And if they're not mistakes, why are police training them? to maul people. So canine handler in South Florida, Charles Meslow, who is a criminal justice professor, claims, quote, properly trained dogs are like a switch. You turn them on and you turn them off, which anyone who knows anything about dogs should probably question a little bit. So if this is true, that dogs are like a switch that you can turn on and off, then all injuries inflicted by dogs on people are at the behest of police. If it's not true, then dogs aren't like a switch you can turn off on and off and are not safe to use as weapons, especially in the way that police train them. So let's dig into how these dogs are trained. So how do you train a dog to bite someone in a way that is, quote, like, you know, police enforcement or apprehending someone without mauling them. Now, I'm first of all going to say I don't think there's any way that a dog bite, even if it's just like, you know, not mauling you, that is a right thing to do. Like, I, I just don't think that it's right to use dog bites as any type of weapon or enforcement. Well, it's just so variable, right? Like if everything about a like law enforcement and the 
the application ideally of of laws in this country are supposed to be specific and consistent in an ideal situation then dogs using animals in any form is so is such a a risk factor it's so variable exactly exactly so police dogs are trained to bite and hold so the breeds they use have incredible jaw strength and their training teaches them to apply more force than civilian dogs typically use so remember earlier we talked about how police dog bites are more severe than civilian dog bites, and this is due to their training. And so in terms of dogs biting, this this is mystifying to me, the idea that you can train a dog to bite in a way, in a, in a hard way, not like a fake bite, like a, a mo- like a dog in a movie or something, but a real bite that you're saying, I have complete control over. Because the way that dog communication and bites work is a scale of escalation. So there is actually a bite level system that was developed by animal behaviorist Dr. Ian Dunbar, and it ranks dog bites. So level one is like nipping in the air. The dog's just warning you like it's not happy. Uh, level two is nipping skin but not puncturing it. Again, the dog is trying to communicate to you, I'm uncomfortable, you're scaring me, I'm upset, please get away from me. Um, but it's not trying to hurt you. It's just trying to warn you. This is communicating. It's still not like... For all of these, it's like anytime you see this behavior in your dog, it's a sign that your dog is anxious, scared, or there's a behavioral issue, and you you should address it um, in a way that focuses on de-escalation, reducing stress, and if it's something that is like challenging, like talk to a dog trainer about it. But so then, level three is biting and puncturing the skin, but the puncture is pretty shallow, like more shallow than the length of the of the tooth. So these are all like, these are escalations of, of dog anxiety, dog uh, stress. Um, and so these are things that I had to deal with since Cookie had that traumatizing experience with this dog and these variable levels of nipping. And like, it's never, never got beyond that, but it's still like, this is a sign the dog is stressed or is not coping with anxiety in a healthy way. So you have to train the dog how to do that in a more healthy way. So Level four is a serious bite. It's a deep puncture or multiple puncture wounds, and it is an indicator that the dog's aggression and stress is out of control. The dog is biting and clamping down. At this point, this is when dog bites can actually start to become fatal. And it is, it's the thing with dogs and their behavior is like when dog trainers are talking to you about like dogs nipping and biting, it's an escalation. So like, Like you start at like, you know, these earlier levels, once you get to level four, it means that this behavior has been escalating for a while. Their stress has been unchecked. They have not been trained to deal with their anxiety and stress in a more healthy way. So this is a a big warning sign for people with dogs. It doesn't mean the dog like, you know, is it's irreversible or anything, but it just means that there needs to be serious intervention. Um, It gets more serious, much more serious with level five is multiple bites with deep punctures. It's the highest level before level six, which is the dog actually killing someone. This is the level that we see in hospitalization of people with police dog bites, like a lot of these hospitalizations. So like earlier, the statistics we talked about where with police dog bites, they're more likely than civilian dog bites to have multiple deep uh, wounds, which means that the dog is at this highest level of aggression on this scale, meaning that they have been trained to tap into, like in terms of dog communication standards, this is 
an extreme reaction for a dog uh, to do against like a human or a fellow dog. Biting, clamping down, and tearing are signs that the dog is at a high state of arousal and aggression. The claim that the dog is this cool level-headed switch that they can turn off and on once they're at this level of aggression is ludicrous, honestly. There are multiple anecdotal stories of dogs biting bystanders and police officers indicating that dogs do make, quote, mistakes. And, you know, this is terrible, but I think it's not to say, like, it's only terrible when the non-intended target is hurt. To target people with this is itself wrong. So I have a question. Um, So when these dogs are biting... I assume that not only the intensity of the bite, but also the location of the bite is it's significant, right? But even attacking the leg, like your femoral artery could cause you to die. So wh- like, what are they, ch- how, how, do they, how do they regulate that? <laughs> when a dog gets into the state of arousal where they are extremely agitated, very ex- extreme levels of these stress hormones going on, they start attacking things like the head, the neck. Like you said, even if it's, quote, just attacking the legs, your legs have important stuff in them. It has femoral arteries. It can't, dog bites can, like severe dog attacks do kill people. It's still incredibly damaging. And why did why do these violent attacks need to happen at all? Yeah. And when a dog is taught to bite down and clamp down and shake, Tearing. That, will, that will tear flesh off of someone. And that is <sighs> extremely dangerous obviously extremely painful if you are skeptical which i kind of doubt anyone is at this point there are photos of injuries that can be results of police dog bites and they are horrific they leave horrific scars you can see like how incredibly uh damaging and and again like this is yes exactly and and you know so a dog who is just maybe a, a dog who hasn't had that great training often doesn't engage in in this type of biting like it's not it's sometimes they do like severe bites can come from civilian owned dogs but for the most part the bites are like the the kind of like level three bite of they bite you once and it hurts and it can actually it can be injurious you may need to go to the hospital but the dog is like it is trying to communicate with you in a sense of like I'm mad at you get away from me you know it's not you know it's like it's not uh, vindictive it's just trying to protect itself Right, exactly. It's stressed out. It's trying to, uh, but like these bites where it clamps down and applies pressure and holds down is an escalation of aggression where it's like the dog is at that point attempting to uh, inflict an injury, not because the dog is bad or evil, but because the dog has been taught this is what you do. This is, you know, you get rewarded for doing this. So the idea that you can like basically work a dog up to this high level of aggression and then I can just say stop and stop the dog that's just not how brains work that's not how dogs work the that's analogies the analogies here of of cops with guns like just is so so similar because of all i think that there i can't remember where i got this data from but a while back i was just researching it for my own purposes which means i was trying to prove someone wrong and i looked it up and there was like in certain police departments or something there was like 70% of officers were like Caucasian, not in, including like Latinx or Asian. Um, and they, they, there was also simultaneously studies where like white people believe that 
black people have like superhuman strength and are quote unquote animalistic, right? And so you combine that with giving them a gun, you combine those incredible biases and those numbers of the number of like Caucasian police officers with giving them a gun. And it's a very similar thing to an unrestrained dog that has been trained to attack minorities. Dogs aren't born racist, much like humans aren't born racist. But like a dog can be taught to fear people who are look different from their owners if their owners like teach them this is who you fear. It makes me curious. I bet that there's not a lot of statistics on this, but it makes me curious to see how you know how all these dogs like live with their their police owners. I think it's mm-hmm. my perception. Um, like the, you know, in interracial relationships or marriages, like how they, how those dogs treat minorities versus, um, dogs with all white families. I'm curious Mm, about that. That's interesting. Yeah. So the justification for using dog bites, uh, as a police weapon is that it's quote pain compliance, which is the idea that the dog bite will cause, quote, pain, but not injury, which will cause the target to comply. None of this sentence makes sense. <laughs> so first of all, as we've just talked about, you can't train a dog to bite just hard enough to hurt, but not so hard that they injure someone. That's not how dog aggression works. You can't train people That's to do how- that. These officers right, are just right. murdering people. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And for you know, like like the dog's communication system and aggression system literally is documented escalation of force. And you can't be like, OK, bite them hard enough to hold them down, but then don't bite so deep it it punctures. an arm. You know, it, it, like what is the dog? A doctor who's like, I know just where to bite the person where it'll hurt, but won't, you know, hurt them. It's it doesn't make sense. Um, there's no evidence that you can train a d- dog just to be aggressive enough to the point where it's like useful for arresting someone. Um, also, uh, you know, there's, um, the, the, you're rewarding dogs for increased aggression. So escalate, like dogs like to kind of escalate things that they're rewarded for. It's actually one of the tricky parts of training dogs with jobs is like you, they get rewarded for certain behaviors. Uh, if you want to selectively reward them for doing only those behaviors when they're supposed to, it's it's tricky because they, they want to do them all the time. They're like, wait, you give me a treat for that? I want to do that now. And I want, th- want to do that again now. I want to see you happy. I want to see you reward me. That's how dog cognition works. It's very, very hard to get them to selectively only, you know, like only be aggressive when you want them to is kind of, yeah. So here's, this is not just my opinion, this is also the opinion of certified dog behavioral consultant, Dr. Richard S. Polsky, who says, quote, animal behavior analysis indicates that attack-trained canines are not automated, programmed machines oblivious to the variables that control aggressive responding. If one looks at the principles of animal behavior science, particularly with regard to principles of learning and conditioning, one easily understands why police canines are prone to behavioral error. For example, mistakes happen because the act of attack for the dog is self-reinforcing. The reinforcing nature of the response increases the dog's motivation and arousal to extremely high levels, therefore increasing the chance of the dog making a mistake. So you combine the dog who's being rewarded for being aggressive and the police officer who's rewarded for being aggressive, 
you know it's like of course like what are like how is this okay that dogs are used as weapons like it that doesn't and none of these dog cops are going to tell on each other they're not going to run it up the flagpole (laughs) you know they're all in this gang together the other thing is um that statement that original statement that you're addressing the parts of said that the pain compliance said that it's intended to cause pain but not injury. And the whole thing is moot because it causes people to die. Like, you know, there's, it's been right. all the way up to death, all these sorts of injuries. Right. So that, that whole statement in itself is false. Right. It's like it's supposed to do this except for this one time and this other time and this other time and this other. You know, if you're saying like, well, this is the intended effect. We just have a few mistakes. It's like, no, if you have a bunch of mistakes then it doesn't matter what your it's quote intended effect is. It's not a few bad this apples. The, right. This is the documented effect that we see in hospitals. So the other part of that thing where the idea of pain compliance making a target quote comply is completely absurd. So like the whole premise of it is stupid. The idea that a person when being bitten by a dog is going to calm down and become compliant is like the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard both as someone who studied psychology and also I've dealt with um, sort of a near-miss dog attack. This was one of the times that Cookie got it like attacked by a dog and I had all these logical ideas worked out of what I would do in that case. My mind went completely blank. I picked up Cookie and I started like screaming and the dog was like started to nip at me. And again, this was not like a very serious attack for me, but I was still freaking out and panicking and I like thrashing around and, and clutching the dog and, and freaking out. The, the dog biting me didn't make me more calm. And I can't imagine a situation in which a dog biting you would ever make you go like, oh, okay, I guess I just got to relax now. And like, uh, I feel like they don't know what pain is. And that's very confusing <laughs> to me because like, any kind of pain is going to spike your adrenaline. Yeah. Like, just naturally. I don't know science, but I know that. <laughs> just you do. <laughs> Apparently, you know science better than police because that's absolutely true. So pain triggers stress hormones and the fight or flight response. So someone being attacked by a dog is not going to go limp and compliant. They're going to struggle, thrash, which is an automatic response to pain. Um, and that thrashing and that panicking is also going to trigger the dog to bite more. So it is putting dogs and people into a situation that is absolutely clearly going to lead to escalation. So this is um, a, a victim of a police dog bite, a very severe one, described his experience when the dog started to tear into his legs, saying, quote, I didn't hear what they were saying. He's talking about the police officers. I didn't hear what they were saying. My mind just went blank. That's what happens when you are panicked and in pain. So the idea that this is going to make someone comply when they are, it's like they're shouting orders at him. He can't hear them because he's being attacked by a dog and he's scared. And the dog is seeing this guy thrash and struggle and the dog is getting more scared and anxious and biting harder. It's just like, this is, it's, I don't know. It's like it really is reminiscent of the history of, you know, using victims to abuse dogs and then those dogs to abuse the victim. It's just twisted. It's the kicker is that people who struggle when being bitten by a police dog are often charged with resisting arrest. That's crazy to me. That's they're resisting bites from a police dog. Right. 
Like as if the dog has like a couple of hand, like it's a German I know it's Shepherd like got hand- tiny handcuffs, handcuffs and it's like, like going like no, give no, him a please. badge though. Like police dogs <laughs> have badges and uniforms, yeah. so they don't see the difference. I guess that is wild. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. It's, That's cr- how do they get charged? If they're I've seen videos of them like on the ground, and they get charged with resisting yeah. arrest by yeah. a dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're really trying uh, to make you know, some dogs go to hell. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to pit. <laughs> they're trying to pit dogs against people just to make that statement: all dogs go to heaven. Not true. But I mean, I think you know, and I'm I'm not saying all this you know to make people afraid of dogs. This is a problem of how police use dogs yeah. and abuse the trainable nature of dogs. So. Domesticated dogs are not inherently violent. You can reward them for aggressive behavior that is a result of them being stressed. And, and like either through like training or, or animal abuse, like they can learn to be aggressive and used as tools of violence. This also like, I know that this is very like critical in terms of just like survival for, for minorities. Um, but even just on the other end of it, this is such a like a violation of the human experience because I so I know so many minorities must be afraid of dogs because yeah. of their experiences with them and it is such a white supremacist thing to take like part of the joy of human life and and guard it for yourself against yeah other other people who want to partake in it. It's like the swimming pool thing. It's like, you know, yeah. like black people got made fun of for not being able to swim. Well, it's only because they weren't allowed to, you know? It's like it, like it's joy. Like how like how dare you take companionship with animals? Like knowing how much joy and love I get from it yes. to know that that same creature would trigger PTSD in a person is just so it's so disgusting. I can't absolutely comprehend it's, it. Dogs are a unique animal. It's been this incredible, unlikely friendship between these early wolf-like animals and humans, and just like, huh, you know, it's actually makes more sense to get along, and to take that, incre- just that incredible, like we're friends with an animal that's amazing, and use it for violence and evil. And like you said, deprive people of this part of it truly is like this fundamental part of the human experience to bond with animals. And it's also I mean, obviously, the main concern are the human victims of police dog violence. But I think this is also abusive towards the dogs themselves. Um, Vasopressin, which is the hormone that indicates higher levels of aggression in dogs, is also associated with higher levels of anxiety. So an aggressive dog is an anxious dog. And if you're training, if you're reinforcing a dog's aggressive behavior, I don't see how that dog isn't stressed all the time. Uh, You know, like, I mean, I've seen anecdotal things about dogs, police dogs, like getting PTSD. And it's like, of course they would have these problems i mean it's you're training dogs to be perpetually stressed and putting them into stressful positions and making them respond to things with aggression which is stressful for dogs it's not constant state of shock and and fight or flight right yeah so i i don't know it's i i just i 
I don't think dogs should be used as weapons. It's just not, it's not right. Uh, it's not right to the people that they hurt. It's not right to the, you know, the animals themselves. It's just. And I don't think the people who use them as weapons should get to have the joy of having a dog. It's, you know what right. I mean? It's like, screw you guys. Right. You don't get this. Right. It's not fair. Yeah. I mean, tummy rubs should be for good people who don't hurt other people. Yeah. Yes. But I, I mean, thanks guys for sticking through this. I know this was, um, it's not, you know, it's a, it's a heavy subject. I think it's really important to talk about. We are going to talk about how we can have dogs have jobs that are positive. There are jobs that are both great for humans and also good for the dog's mental health and stimulation. And some of these are pretty incredible and inspiring. So we will talk about that when we return. One of the negative effects associated with the history of police dog use has been an increase in dog-related phobias. Some research has shown that the use of police dogs during the civil rights era may have led to an increase in dog phobias amongst black Americans. What's especially heartbreaking about this is how dogs can have such a gentle, positive impact for people. And by using them as weapons, many people, especially black Americans and other minorities targeted by police, may be forced to associate dogs with violence. The thing is, dogs are not intrinsically violent. When their most admirable qualities, such as their ability to sense human emotion, their gentleness, their intelligence, and playfulness are all nurtured, they are remarkably loving and uniquely social with humans. Training dogs to hurt people is such a misuse and abuse of this special connection that we have with dogs. When we return, we're going to end with something to lift your spirits. There are many jobs that dogs can have that are so incredibly wonderful and frankly impressive. Things that help people and that the dogs themselves seem to enjoy. We're going to talk about therapy dogs, special doctor medicine scientist dogs, big fluffy dogs, and teeny tiny penguins. So stay tuned for that. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. 
Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free Free shipping on your subscription order. Go to symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. So dog jobs don't have to be negative. They can be a huge boon to humanity and to the environment. Dogs are perfectly poised to be one of the most uniquely well-suited animals to work with humans. Their distant wolf-like ancestors were already highly social pack animals, and dogs have co-evolved with humans for tens of thousands of years, developing skills such as reading our emotions and learning how to communicate with us. And now we have developed an incredible partnership with these animals. I think it's our responsibility to treat this bond with utmost respect, both where people and dogs are concerned. So we've talked about what not to do, which is to use dogs as weapons against people. So now I want to talk about positive jobs that are good for people and good for dogs. So these are jobs that instead of taking advantage of dogs' stress response and aggressive responses to anxiety, these take advantage of dogs' best nature, their loving, sweet nature, and the things that bring dogs themselves joy. So first, let's talk about therapy dogs and service dogs. And this, I, I don't know, I whenever I see a therapy dog in a hospital with that goofy little face just about to go into a room and be like, oh, I'm going to kiss a little kid. Like, it's just, it's the cutest thing. It's the sweetest thing. So there is a difference between therapy and service dogs. Therapy dogs are dogs trained to have a very stable, chill, calm personality to be gentle and provide psychological comfort and health to those who interact with them. Whereas service dogs are trained to provide aid to people with disabilities, such as seeing eye dogs, medical alert dogs, dogs trained to fetch inhalers or other medical supplies for those in need, and dogs trained to provide mobility support. There's also dogs that like alert when someone's having a medical emergency, like they can detect signs that someone's say about to have a seizure and the dog alerts that they're about to have a seizure. And it's, it, it's incredible that we like dogs are so smart and so perceptive and we can train them to help us in this way and these are obviously tasks that are incredibly important and wonderful. Can I add um, a couple of jobs that I've seen? I've volunteered yeah. in hospitals. And so like beyond even um, just uh, the therapy or the specific tasks, there are certain dogs, there are certain children with like very fatal peanut allergies and things like that. And so dogs that are able to sniff that out in like the household allows kids to be able to interact with other children without fearing for their lives. Like they're allowed to have people come over because the dog can like sniff the other kid and like make sure that everything's okay. Or they're like, they have their dog with them in the playroom in case the other kid's parents bring in peanuts and stuff. And they like these children will literally die, you know, if they're exposed to it. So it's, it's, it's things beyond um, that things that we don't even 
think of. I know that there was like when I was in college, we had a bed bug outbreak and they brought like <laughs> they brought a little beagle for like our loft space and then they brought a big beagle for like the floor or whatever. Whoa. And so oh the beagles were sniffing out the bed bugs and it was like very cute oh, and very adorable like and it was puppy. an like exciting day on campus yeah oh my god that's so and like you've got the i i just imagining them have this team dynamic of the little one being like kind of spirited and in, yeah energetic. that's like, exactly we're gonna find some bed bugs and like the old one being you know like we're gonna get I've been the on this job bugs. for three years yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't know it's just like it's there's so many like when you don't use them for for weapons which they can't control because they're in an anxious state when they're in a happy state they can do so many amazing things like they're so with precision with precision like you can yeah train, i've seen videos of golden retrievers picking up eggs instead of teaching a dog to be violent with their mouths you can teach them to be so gentle with their mouth that they can pick up that's an egg uh, that's a tiktok and trend it. and apparently it's like a natural <laughs> thing that dogs recognize not to hurt the egg like and so everybody's yeah. like Hey, I've heard dogs don't like crunch on eggs. Let me try with my dog. And like, it's the first time that they've ever given their dog an egg and the, and the dog's very gentle because they're perceptive about a lot of right. these things when they're not stressed out, you know? Right, exactly. And they're actually happy to like when they do these do jobs, as long as they're being trained in a positive reinforcement way. Of course, that's a caveat. Like the training itself has to be positive and and kind but when they are trained in that positive reinforcement way and they do these jobs like therapy and service jobs, like they are in a relaxed state and there have actually been studies to confirm this. So a study in applied animal behavior science found that dogs who worked as therapy dogs were uh, not stressed in any measurable way. So they looked at their cortisol levels and their body expressions and found that there was no difference in stress levels at home or in the hospital. So they were as relaxed at the hospital as they were at home. And, you know, you can also, like, this is maybe less scientific, but you can look at the body language of a therapy dog. And as they sit outside of uh, someone's room waiting to go in and they're so, they, their tails are wagging. They look, like, really content and happy. And they're, and, they're getting know, that, pets from kids. Like, what more? They're, <laughs> right. They're, they are getting, you know, these interactions with kids where they're getting loved and they're expressing love. And, yeah, I mean, that is... That, that's like, I beautiful. think, yeah, it is beautiful. It's dogs and humans at their best. It's also the, the tasks that these dogs often do are very similar to enrichment activities that uh, are given to dogs to improve their mental health. So I, I also love with that story you're telling about, like alerting to the, the peanuts, using a dog's love of peanuts and peanut butter like for good the yeah good of humanity where it's like i could smell a peanut a i don't even away. think <laughs> i don't even think that dog probably never gets peanut butter no <laughs> but again it'll get not. chicken or something you know yeah of course yeah but like cookie cookie could smell a peanut but if she found it she'd just like crunch it down i also <laughs> i also think it's like with these positive tasks where they're like protecting people i i just this is not scientific, but I just feel like it's what they want to do because they love people. Yeah. Like they want to take care of us like we take care of them. And like there's a partnership there and they're more motivated to like help us than they are to hurt us. Well, when you look at the evolutionary history of dogs and how we like I, I, I keep saying this, how we like co-evolved with dogs, our, our society and dogs like they basically we selected for their wolf-like ancestors who were not afraid of us and weren't aggressive and basically like humans who enjoyed the dog's presence, dogs that enjoyed the human's presence, we formed this mutualistic 
relationship and we like er, there's early evidence and we actually talk about this on an earlier episode about about dogs where there's it's early evidence of dogs being buried with these high value items like way way long time ago meaning that we had this emotional connection to the dogs and the dogs i think have an emotional connection to us because they are highly social but their socialness has changed to be focused on humans like they there are studies that show like they look at our facial expressions they focus more on the side of our face that is more expressive they unlike wolves their distant cousins like when they encounter a problem they look at a human they're like mm. help me with this puzzle and they they really have evolved to look to us and to derive pleasure from our company um and i think that's you know i think that's that's great and we we have a responsibility to our fellow people and to dogs to use that in a way that's positive and you know kind one of the things that kind of frustrates me is like drug sniffing dogs it's like yeah they have an amazing sense of smell instead of like the war on drugs is so stupid we could use their noses for these incredible feats like dogs who can literally smell cancer in blood so dogs have noses that are about 10,000 times more accurate than humans and a study in experimental biology found that dogs can detect cancerous blood samples with almost 97% accuracy, which is like a like, superpower. It should be in crazy. every household. You know what I mean? <laughs> like rather than having these dogs, like we, you know, what I, like we should be able to have more access to these good dogs. Yes, absolutely. So, the reason that these dogs aren't like in in doctor lab coats going around hospitals <laughs> sniffing cancer is because of the way that dog training works, which is it can. It's like we talked about earlier why that is bad in terms of law enforcement. It can also have limitations for good things, too. So when you train a dog to you, first of all, you have to train the dog to detect a specific type of cancer. There are many types of cancer. So you'd have to invest in training dogs for each type of cancer. But also dogs need positive reinforcement. So when they like sniff for something and they properly signal and they get a positive reinforcement like that is what keeps them wanting to do that behavior. So most blood samples aren't going to have cancer in it. So if you have a dog like sniffing around and never finding anything, the dog's going to be discouraged. Uh, so you could potentially plant like um, one you know has it in. But the problem is that if they signal and you have no way of knowing whether that like you the, these that you're basically diagnosing so you don't know if they're signaling correctly the problem is if you reward them for signaling and they're incorrect you're reinforcing a mistake so they they will keep signaling just they'll start signaling everyone suddenly all the blood samples <laughs> have cancer because they want rewards um but if you don't reward them for signaling correctly then they get discouraged like well heck you know i did it the right thing so it you know, it's kind of like um, in artificial intelligence and stuff. You have to have a set of like labeled data that you know is like positive or negative, and then you just train the system. This, in this case, the dog on that right. data. But you would have to do it at regular intervals and with new labeled data. Um, and and so that would take like a long time, and also like a lot of samples that could be otherwise used for uh, research. Right. right. Exactly. But the fact that dogs can smell cancer uh, may help us develop other tools for cancer detection, basically zeroing in like what they're actually smelling, like what's mm. binding to their smell receptors. And could we create an artificial dog nose for detecting cancer, well, which 
would be it'd have the benefits of the dogs being able to detect it but unlike the dogs it wouldn't get discouraged by like <laughs> yeah. not finding it dogs like sad that they can't fight cancer <laughs> <laughs> what is wrong with you dogs come on, dogs. Come on. um yeah but it, it is it's like again like using dogs incredible gifts to further medicine and science i think is, in a way that is again like these researchers are really thinking about the dogs in terms of like it, it doesn't work in this case to do something that isn't fun for the dog it has to be fulfilling for the dog or they they won't do it and yeah. like that's like fair you know yeah so another case this is okay this is my favorite is dogs out there protecting the environment by being dogs so dogs uh so in the mid 2000s there was a penguin crisis on middle island australia oh i remember this okay yes yes so um foxes were rapidly driving down the population of the world's smallest penguin the fairy penguin and if you've never seen one of these penguins they're tiny little penguins that you could hold it right now they're so little you could hold it it in your it's just like the size of a burrito it's so cute so foxes from mainland australia were able to get to the island when changes in the sea currents allowed a natural bridge of sand to form so i want to say probably our fault right i i mean this might have been who knows but i think this one might have just been on mother nature being a being a jerk but the penguin population went from the hundreds to just a handful which is alarming because the tiny penguins must be saved so in comes uh marima sheepdogs which are big fluffy white dogs that look like super friendly polar bears and are used by farmers to keep foxes away from their chickens and one of these farmers like heard about the penguin problems like penguins not too different from a chicken <laughs> like why can't we <laughs> use these dogs to protect the penguins it's first of all i'm so sorry it's criminal how much you're underselling the cuteness of these penguins <laughs> i looked them up you guys okay imagine like a chick but in the shape of a penguin and that's what it looks like like a tiny little chicken when it's all yellow and fuzzy and cute but it's a penguin and apparently some people started putting sweaters on them. Oh, my God. But then also there's, like, pictures of the penguins cuddling up with the doggies and they're, like, little friends. <laughs> I love nature friends. The and then they made, like, little penguin doggy stuffed animals. Oh, my God. I'm going to so die. The- so the original penguin protector dog is named Oddball and... <laughs> She started the trend of these Merima sheepdogs being used to watch over the penguin population, which has healed and has come back into the hundreds. And the best part about this is these sheepdogs are not really violent, so they aren't, it's not like they're going around violently attacking predators. They are just so big and so imposing, they scare them off. They're they in, Initially, like, they're these, like, huge gentle dogs that are very intimidating very protective so they'll they'll bark at a fox but that's that's enough to scare off these little foxes and but they're gentle enough to be around the penguins without hurting them so it's just 
I don't know. I want a Disney movie now. About- uh, I was just about to interrupt you to let you know that one already exists. What? It's what? called Oddball. It came out in 2016. It's available oh to watch on Prime Video right now. And one of the stars is Alan Tudyk. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. There's it's no so reason. cute. I oh cannot wait to watch this movie. Okay. Guys. Yeah. I know what I'm watching tonight. That's my uh, that's my quarantine movie for tonight. Oh, little puppy, and then the penguins on its head, all happy. <laughs> oh my gosh! So it's just cute. so. It's like again, like dogs used to be these like wolves that would just basically down a bunch of these penguins in one bite, but now they're just big old, big old little cuties that giant old floofs who's like, don't worry, little penguins, you're safe with me. <laughs> Uh, and then the last story I want to talk about is similar is is how dogs are used as companions to cheetahs which again I I just love how like like man how do we protect these wild animals or make them safer or happier well dogs do that for us so why not these animals so when cheetahs are orphaned or without siblings like in a zoo or a rescue they are not having a good time because cheetahs are highly highly anxious i know they look like sleek you know predator and they are predators but they're they're like little they have kind of the sweetest like shyest personality of any wild cat they're very skittish, very, like, they live very stressful lives. And in the wild, they actually either live, like, with their mom and they form these kind of family units. Or, like, when they're adults, the males will form these, like, coalitions of of males. And then the females, typically, once they start a family, they just, like, have this cycle of always having their young around and having these things. So even though they're not um, pack animals and they're not pride animals, they still form these close bonds with each other and so a baby cheetah with no siblings and no parent all alone is going to be very anxious and these um, wildlife rescuers would notice this that they were very you know not having a good time and and they thought well it needs like we don't have another baby cheetah we can't do that but we do have this little puppy and so they uh, put the the little, I think it was a golden retriever puppy. It looks in with like a golden cheetah. retriever. And they became just fast friends. The cheetah like calmed down, and the dog, you know, the these the dog was very happy to like get licks and cuddles from this cheetah, and they just grew up to be these great friends. And like this has been used by zoos and rescues to. Uh, keep cheetahs who have been uh, orphaned or are alone happy and less stressed and give them just this like companion and and you know like it's basically like this dog is a therapy dog for the cheetah and the dog is more than happy to get love and attention from the but cheetah. But what's cool is seeing it when they're like little babies and they're like both <laughs> little fuzzballs and it seems like you know like dogs with cats dogs um, dogs seem more um, like protect, like more kind of protective than cats. Like cats don't come out like as as able. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it just seems like yeah, dogs yeah. have their their stuff together when they're puppies. But then puppies, but, puppies are a little more like on the ball. Yeah, than, than kittens. But then when they grow up, this cheetah is like so much bigger and like more intimidating <laughs> looking than the dog. But they have each other's mm-hmm. back because they love each other, and the dog has yeah. no ego about it. 
<laughs> well, the cheetah probably still looks up to the yeah. dog, like knowing cheetah personalities. Like even though the cheetah is like bigger than the yeah. dog, the cheetah is like, where where do we go, big brother or big sister? I like, love what do that. We do now? <laughs> I love that. Uh, yeah, and apparently, like these cheetahs form these really strong do- bonds with these dogs, such that like you can't you can't just like put any dog in with a cheetah. You can introduce like an old dog to a young cheetah. Like the dog is often willing to make friends with like a young cheetah, but an old cheetah, like you can't toss in a dog that that's, the cheetah doesn't that's know. Like that food. cheetah will be. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. I'm kidding, they'll I'm be kidding. scared. Of- yeah, <laughs> they'll, yeah, they'll be scared of the dog. Yeah, they'll be they'll be fearful. Yeah. So, Why like, is a the- cheetah afraid of a dog? I don't know understand cheetahs are so cheetahs live these very harsh lives and they're very skittish and they have to compete with lions and hyenas and a lot like their cubs are often killed by hyenas these these, uh um which are not actually dogs but like these um you know dog-like yeah dog-like like and so they you know when they see another animal that is potentially a, a predator they which you know uh, a little is, goofball yeah <laughs> golden retriever or whatever <laughs> right like like well if i'm a predator then just call terrace balls my prey <laughs> yeah but yeah i mean it's not that i'm not saying like a cheetah couldn't harm a dog it, it may be able to but cheetahs are easily intimidated they are they're very fearful animals uh even though they are predators they will go after after prey animals they they don't they don't generally want competition want them. Exactly. There, uh, but so well, that's, that's why lovely. they need, they need uh, emotional support dogs. <laughs> that's sweet that they, you know, they have their bonds mean something. Basically, like all these dog jobs show, like tapping into the best part of a dog's nature, like their sweetness, their intelligence and companionship, their like gentleness are not only incredibly useful for people and like other animals, but it's also something that the dogs enjoy doing like they you know being friends with a child at a hospital or being friends with a colony of little penguins and getting love and and getting positive attention for being loving like these are all wonderful things so like there are ways that dogs can you know have this role to play in society that's so positive and so incredible and it just I don't know I, I I think that is that should be cherished and any time like a dog is used for violence and and a dog is you know it's like you know you are you are a weapon that's just it's so wrong yeah well i agree <laughs> um no i definitely get those dogs into heaven get those it. dogs yeah. into heaven um <laughs> I really love dogs. I think um, I am an atheist, so I don't believe in souls, but I feel like my dog was part of mine. Um, So I just feel like they have so much to offer. They're just these pure little creatures. Um, And I I do, I just want to refocus on the victims of the violence, you know, like I, I, beyond the, the animals, like just we we are more aware than ever of how awful the system is and how we want to remove these pieces of architecture that have um, systematically oppressed people first and, and tortured and killed people for so long. Um, This is, uh, this is another, like a huge risk factor um, that's, that's hurting minorities, um, black people, especially. Um, So yeah. Thank you so much, Pallavi, thank for you. joining me today. Um, and thank you to uh, Joelle as well. Um, 
So, yeah. Uh, do you have anything to plug? Yes. So a couple things. I am working on uh, volunteer engineering, a low cost ventilator for developing countries. Um, it's open source, which is incredible. And we are Respira Works. So R-E-S-P-I-R-A works everywhere. Um, we're like Respira.works is our our website. And you can do slash donate if you'd like to donate because we are a nonprofit and it's just a bunch of volunteers. We're like applying for grants and stuff, but that's going towards the ventilator itself and getting it out there. Um, I also have started a mailing list and it's got, uh, I send it out twice a week. It's got action items, uh, events like today's the, or this is Monday. I don't know when this is going out, but there's like a budget city council meeting, stuff like that. Um, things to people to call to demand justice, petitions to sign, GoFundMe's, places to donate, black businesses to support, black abolitionists, Instagrams to follow. Um, you know, like we have a book club, we have a, a, a movie club, um, just to educate ourselves, to unlearn <laughs> the the terrible, uh, terrible teaching of history that we learned. Um, yes. And so, yeah, so DM me or email me. I'm Pallavi Ganalan, P-A-L-L-A-V-I-G-U-N-A-L-A-N. Uh, that's Pallavi Ganalan everywhere. That's my Instagram, my Twitter, my Facebook, my TikTok. I'm on there. That's TikTok? I don't know how to make that activist. I'm figuring that out. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, you can DM me or email me paulaviganalincomedy at gmail.com to get on this mailing list. Or the the, yeah. the link to the drive is in my bios. So Yeah. And I think we'll also probably put that in the footnotes too. Yeah. Yeah, and you can find us on Twitter at CreatureFeetPod. That's F-E-A-T, not F-E-E-T. That's something very different. On Instagram, CreatureFeaturePod. Um, I am uh, Katie Golden on Twitter. And, you know, I just post my Katie thoughts on there. Um, and as always, I am also pro-bird rights, where I, you know, I make the case that birds should be in charge of stuff. And I am certainly a human being and not a bunch of birds in a lady suit. That would be, that'd be weird. <laughs> I think you, I, I think you lost a feather. Oh, that's hard. That, that's not, that's, that's from a pillow. That's oh, from okay. a pillow. It's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song, Exolumina. Creature Features, a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Die Heart Radio website, or hey, guess what? Wherever you're listening to it on right now, you know? Like, clearly you've got something that you're listening to some platform. You can use that too, or anything. Just anywhere, you know? Thank you guys so much for listening, and I will see you next Wednesday. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually 
in person and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com.